0: Hello, and welcome to Desert Rain Community Radio. Those drums you hear in the background, that's courtesy of Monk Drums. You can check them out at monkdrums.com. All the editing and wizardry is thanks to Diego from Recording Moving Studios. Also would like to give a shout out to Star City Studio. Today's episode, David Morrison and I sit down to talk about his two heart surgeries he experienced this year, and we focus on the spiritual practices he used uh, before, during, and after to walk through that, um, you know, everyone's been having a tough 2020, but for him uh, with the surgeries, uh, how how he walked through the year. To hear other episodes of Desert Rain Community Radio, feel free to Find us on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or Spotify. You can also stop by theruin.com to find the episodes there, as well as any uh, as well as writings by David Morrison. So, uh, if you like what you hear, please uh, share us with a friend, rate and review us. Uh, since we're a relatively new podcast, we'd greatly appreciate that. And let's get into it. Good evening and welcome to another week of Desert Rain Community Radio. I'm here with David Morrison. How are you doing tonight? Hello, sir. How are you? Doing well, man. It's mm. good to see you.
1: Not bad. Not
0: we too uh, took, a, what, two weeks off? A week off? Something like I think that? Took a week. Yeah, we skipped a week. And uh, that's actually one of the things I wanted to get into tonight with you is... Um, the reason we skipped a week is because you had a a surgery that was kind of a follow-up surgery to one you had, uh, back in June of 2020. Uh, so I just wanted to explore, explore the surgeries with you, but more so explore the recovery. Um, and not even so much the physical recovery, um, but the, the emotional and spiritual recovery, which in my estimation are, are closely connected at least from, from times I've, had physical ailments so uh maybe you could tell us a little bit um about the surgery from early on in the summer and and sort of the follow-up what those were and then we can dive into the sure the spiritual side of it
1: yeah let's just say my body's been a a metaphor for the year 2020
0: (laughs) that's pretty Um, much unfortunately that's yeah seems to be true i've lived
1: it out in my body
0: um So, how did, this, how did this all start sort of going down the, this metaphor? Well, um, I guess it was June
1: 9th of this year. Uh, I was out walking in the desert and I had a kind of a strange premonition mm-hmm. um, out in the desert, somewhere around the evening. Um, should I talk about that yeah, first? Yeah, before absolutely. The- So you know, because I
0: think it's all that's connected to the bigger story.
1: Right. The beginning of
0: this story there is a very profound part to where we are today. In my estimation, yeah.
1: And so a friend of mine, his uh, mother in law had just passed away. I just heard that, and so I was kind of keeping her in my heart, praying, going up this this little desert road uphill about sunset, and just kind of holding space for them and and kind of saying a goodbye for her and kind of walking her across in some ways.
0: Well, and, and for bigger context, you've done this for other people. Yeah. And I work with hospice years,
1: and right. I kind of, I call it dream walking. It's kind of a new age sounding kind of thing, but uh, yeah, I kind of walked them across the river and it's just, it's basically imaginative mm-hmm. prayer. Mm-hmm. And so I did that. And, and as soon as the sun went down, I felt, like so, I knew something was off with my body, and, and so I sat down on the ground and, and contemplated just sitting there and waiting for death to come. Right. And
0: literally. Yeah, yeah, because
1: right. this is kind of the way I wanted to die. I was already dealing with mortality issues. Uh, I had a cancer scare earlier,
0: a couple in, in 2020. In
1: 2020. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so I was already facing mortality, and dealing with those kinds of issues. And I mean, we're all facing mortality. We just don't.
0: We like to pretend we're, we, we're not. Yeah, <laughs> we like
1: to keep that illusion nice and big and
0: fat. It's a good but book. But my called, illusion
1: had shrunk to a very thin veil. Yeah. Let's just
0: say it that way. There's a good book called "Denial of Death" that that lays yeah. out that whole thing. And you, the the denial for you was was not not as deep as for right for the average <laughs> Joe, so to speak.
1: And I'd kind of already imagined the way I'd like to go is. Uh, in the desert, under a sky, rather than the fluorescent lights of a hospital, mm-hmm. um, the coyotes ripping my body to shreds, <laughs> feeding,
0: feeding their young, with feeding you. their young, uh,
1: <laughs> and so <laughs> you know it's kind of a fantasy I had, and
0: right. so I sat you still down. With, have it, <laughs> yeah, oh,
1: of course, yeah, that beats fluorescent desert, lighting.
0: Desert, and uh, <laughs> desert monk through and through.
1: Yeah, I want to be. I want the desert to receive me back. Mm -hmm. And so, so I sat down and kind of waited, thinking I was maybe having a heart attack, maybe a stroke, but I wasn't sure. Just I knew something was off. I knew an infection was coming or of some sort in my legs.
0: And you knew that because you've had infections. Yeah, I've had
1: chronic problems with uh, from going back to another mortality brush in 2011 when I went septic and survived Mm -hmm. it. And my ongoing joke with doctors and nurses is that um God really doesn't like me. And they'll ask me, Well, why do you say that? And I say, because he keeps letting me survive this stuff. And uh and they don't time find it. After time. They don't find it as funny as I do, but I think God finds it hilarious. Yeah. Um
0: God's a comedian. Yeah.
1: Yeah. If he, if if God is not a comedian, then why would I want to be with such a God for all eternity? So but then I got really tired waiting, and coyotes, you know, I've put out meat for them, and they don't even touch it sometimes. So I did I figured they're not going to eat me, and and death is always late. And so I got up and went and home. Boredom Pushed late me home. Uh, Marsha knew I was knew something was up as soon as she saw my face, and and then later that evening I went into deep chills, and shaking, and then the next morning,
0: which you've experienced those symptoms. From some of your other yeah,
1: this one was a little more intense than usual. I knew something. Yeah. So in the morning I couldn't even walk. I was there was sciatic pain in my hip, in my uh, it would switch from my right leg to left, but mostly in the right, and it was and it was growing more and more intense the pain, and then by mid morning, it was excruciatingly Mm -hmm. painful. Uh you were yeah i mean yeah I, there, I i witnessed, yeah.
0: i witnessed that and and um, I don't think I've seen someone in and it came like in waves, right, you'd yeah. be fine for ten or well relatively fine for ten or fifteen yeah. minutes, and then just like uh yeah, uh deep, deep pain would obviously yeah. wash over you and
1: it was very painful and so that pushed me in the middle of a pandemic uh as as much as you know scary as that was.
0: And I think we should touch on that because I I think some of it, your hesitation to go to the hospital was because of that,
1: right? is that yeah. a, a safe? Right, uh, you know, we're in a pandemic and mm-hmm. our numbers were
0: were not low. Yeah, they were
1: not low, and and so yeah, but the pain, you know, pain is a great motivator.
0: Well, and I think too, your wife recognized. Yeah, how and wives much pain are
1: amazing motivators. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was like, all right, the the you're. Your ability to uh avoid this is gone,
1: right, yeah, because
0: right, yeah. I couldn't walk so mm-hmm. so you
1: guys took me to the emergency room, and that that felt like there was a panic in the air. you could feel it they don't let people in the- hosp- at least in el Paso. Uh. you know they don't let you in the hospital, you meet them at the door outside mm-hmm. i was in a, they put me in a wheelchair they're trying to process me in the between the uh the sliding doors and that right, space right they would
0: open every 30 seconds yeah
1: and people are coming up and interrupting the nurse uh constantly within that 5 minutes different people and so it just really had the feel of a of just a, a total panic in the in the air in the public.
0: Well, I think another thing to point out is that there wasn't ju- it wasn't just like we walked up and you got to start getting processed. We were probably waiting outside for fifteen or twenty minutes. Probably while someone else was getting processed. Yeah, that, yeah that's waiting. how how locked down they had the the hospital at yeah. that point, right?
1: And so visit, you know, your family can't go in there with you. So they took me in. I didn't know if that was the last time I was going to see Marshall sure. and you and or anybody else mm-hmm. in my familiar circle. Um, so yeah, so they took me to the emergency room and, um, you know, and I, I just wanted relief for the pain, but they couldn't help me with that because my heart rate was shooting up while my blood pressure was, was, uh, shooting down. It's a bad sign. Mm -hmm. And so then, you know, hours pass of waiting and, uh, and so instead of sciatic pain in the leg, they... Tell me I, I, that my kidneys were failing. Hmm. This was about by evening.
0: That same, the same day you showed up to the hospital, right? Right.
1: And so they put me in a room that night, and um, and so then the you know so then a couple so all together I was there 13 days, but within I think by the second or third day, then they tell me I, I have a blood infection, and I was in the early stages of going septic again. I've experienced that organ you know, failure.
0: Right, and, you know the the pain. And, yeah, like, it's a demoralization of that.
1: That twelve hours is not a quick death. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, and all this, you know. So I'm text, and I'm running out of battery in my phone. So I'm trying to say goodbye to everybody that I can possibly say goodbye to, and phone calls, and uh, while well, I still had battery juice, because I didn't know if I was going to live to the morning. Uh,
0: so this would have been day two. Yeah, oh, the, no. This is
1: day one. This is oh, this was still the 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 first same. evening. Okay, yeah, okay, I'm running okay. out of battery juice in my phone, and there was too much uh, rush to be able to pack a bag or anything. Like, so mm-hmm. I didn't have a charger with me. And
0: yeah, because we just we basically just yeah, jumped yeah. in the car and, threw and got me in after there it. And yeah. yeah,
1: so so yeah. So then the the next couple. So then the pain and the sciatic nerve is just increasing, waking me up at four in the morning. I was screaming. There was one night where the pain was so uncontrollable uh, and so sharp and so intense um, that uh, the nurse uh, shot my IV with morphine and with uh, some other heavy, maybe fentanyl, I don't remember. One of those bad ones you don't want to be on. And then a Tylenol 3 pill, and it took four hours for the pain to even subside from that. And then there were testings, and, and then they accidentally put me on a, uh, um, a thyroid medication. It was just an, a clerical error. Somehow right. it ended up on my—so so I'm in a thyroid storm as well. So I'm going septic.
0: And that was for, uh, what, five or six days?
1: Uh, Ten days of the 13 they had me on that, that drug, uh, Synthroid. It's a common— Thyroid drug, but if your thyroid's not failing... If your thyroid's you
0: know, fine. <laughs> yeah,
1: which my thyroid was all right. Right. I had that going for that me. That was the
0: one thing. The <laughs> and unfortunately, my the brain was
1: okay, so I could remember all of these things. Right. Uh, register all the pain, pain-filled memories. And so there was one point where... So, so this drug made me... They'd give it to me at 6 in the morning. It would speed up my heart like crazy, and then it would cause me to sweat profusely and... And so I was already feverish right? and already dealing with, uh, you know, my legs are massively swollen through this and kidney failure and the whole thing. And so they put me in an MRI to see, just to see what was going on, what the well, they were pain trying to, was. Right. So.
0: They were still di- trying to diagnose the yeah, actual pain. The sciatic pain. And, right. And so that
1: was, it was an, I believe it was an hour and a half MRI and I'm in excruciating pain at this point. And they, just transferring from the bed to the cart was just a, a huge ordeal. And and then they tell me, yeah, you have to be still for an hour and
0: a mm-hmm. half. While and, you're still in this room. Yeah,
1: and this very true. loud magnetic... Uh, those of you with chronic pain out there, you know about an MRI machine, how loud and disoriented it is. And I'm wearing a mask at the same time, you know, because of COVID, that constant reminder. And... Which, you know, in that case, it was kind of an impeding breathing, or at least psychologically. Mm-hmm. So I'm in the the MRI machine, the loud, loud noises, I'm sweating, and somehow I was able to, it seemed like I was able to contain the physical pain in my right ankle. Uh, I just held my foot down like you would on a gas pedal,
0: mm.
1: and it seemed like it just held it there to a flicker, mm. and... They, the hospital, they were, the technicians were very pleased that I was able to be still for an hour and a half. I don't know how that happened. I I mean, I did centering
0: prayer. I was going to say that you did mention to me at some point, the, the prayer process that you went through. I don't know if you want to touch on, I go ahead and touch on that right now. Yeah. I just had to be as
1: still as possible. Um, there was a point in the MRI where it felt like I blacked out, but I obviously did, and they would have told me mm-hmm. that I literally fainted. But it—it f- it just everything went black, and I—it felt like if—if if I could give an image, like I was sitting in a very dark room, in front of a, uh, on the edge of a uh, giant pipe with water, black water, and I fell backwards and just descended into that water. And then somehow ascended. I don't know how much time passed. And the only prayer that I started mouthing was, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And I just kept repeating that. And it felt like a solidarity with the crucified Christ and George Floyd and every person who's ever been uh, lynched. Right. Uh, or murdered by the police in that sense. And so it was just a, an amazing revelation and experience, but horrific at the same time. And so then they pulled me out of and, the
0: And were you in that prayer the entire time? Like after did I you, I mean weighed, was time just even— Yeah,
1: time just was gone. All right. Okay. From what from what I remember, I think it was I think what they wanted was to be able to transfer me from the MRI cart back to my bed and since I was in so much pain, they they called the nurse my nurse to come down from upstairs and so I think the last 30 minutes of the MRI, they pulled me out. I remember my hand, my arm. They pulled my arm out, and I remember it being completely doused in sweat. Mm. And then she shot me with morphine, and then they shoved my arm back in and shoved me Continued back in the for the last 30 minutes. And I think they were trying to, yeah, edge off the the pain for the transfer. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was on—I don't remember which day. That was maybe the third or fourth day. And then—so um, the news just kept— Getting better and better, right? So the you know kid uh, leg pain turns to kidney failure. Kidney failure turns to uh, uh, early stage sepsis, and then that uh, night about four a.m.
0: Well, and and on top of all that, they're still trying to diagnose the pain. Yeah, and they
1: can't figure out why. They had some theories, but none of them panned out. And then I was talking to the uh, the, uh, the 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 CNA or the tech. Who's on call? They take your vitals every four hours, mm-hmm. and I was getting along pretty well with him because he was a Seattle Seahawks fan ha. and uh, and a sports fan, and so you know we were talking a lot about that stuff. And um, and then I, I felt tightness in my chest about four in the morning. I thought it was indigestion from the antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they mess you up, and right. He did an EKG, and then uh. And then the blood people came. They usually come about four. Those of you who have been in the hospital, you know about the the blood taking, four right? 4, 4 a.m., boom. Turn on Rise that fluorescent lighting, blind you, and then take your blood. And, uh, and my veins never uh, cooperate, so they have to stick me multiple times. Um, so then by 6 a.m., I'm throwing up, vomiting, and and then they they the the main doctor rushed in and told me i'd had a heart attack that that night the blood work that mm-hmm. shown that um so then the whole then
0: <laughs> game everything changes. shifted yeah it yeah, everything all shifted to shifting that point.
1: gears they put me in a nicer ward uh the cardiac ward and uh and then they did some more testing and did a heart catheter test and and so this is a couple of days after this is and then uh and then,
0: uh, and how quickly did they get you into surgery? From the so time you had your heart attack, so I had the
1: heart attack on a Sunday morning at about 4 a.m. Okay. Monday, they did some testing. Uh, Tuesday, they did a deeper heart catheter test, which is a more intrusive test. Right. And so Tuesday morning, a surgeon. I'm recovering from the heart catheter testing, and a surgeon. Came to see me and he said, your, your heart is 100% blocked. And so I asked him if I was on punked. You know, it doesn't sound well, right. 100%? 98?
0: 95? You, call, yeah, you, you called me that day or the next day telling me the same thing and I laughed at you because I thought you were. You I were thought joking. he was joking. Right. 100%? Yeah.
1: So I asked him, How have I been walking around? You
0: know, how have I been alive?
1: Uh, am I a zombie? Am I what? How is this possible? 100? Uh-huh. What? Not 80? No, 80, 100%. And he said the fourth valve was
0: completely destroyed. Oh, so they knew that before the surgery?
1: Right, because the heart catheter takes a camera into your heart and looks deeply into it. So he wanted to do surgery right away, but the problem was I was recovering from kidney failure and early-stage sepsis. So there were those complications. And then I I told him, I said, I I don't want to do this anymore. This is becoming quite the production to keep me alive and I'm not, I don't know if I'm interested in mm-hmm. doing this surgery.
0: And you were being dead serious. Yeah. And so
1: he was like, what? What?" And so he uh, said, well, do you have a family? And I said, yes, but they're quite familiar with my mortality. And they've faced that before. And I told him, if, if it's just going to be continuing chronic illness for my life and a, and a huge production just to keep me alive, I'm frankly, I'm not interested. And so I, I guess he was... Taken aback by that. And, and, uh, so he said, I'm going to go check my notes. I'll be back. So I don't know, maybe an hour later he comes back and he says, all right, what if I told you?
0: <laughs> He's like negotiating <laughs> he with to you. Me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so what if I told you, uh, you know, uh, bypass surgery would cause blood to flow where it wasn't flowing in your body for years. And so infections could theoretically he said, I'm not promising or guaranteeing mm-hmm, anything. Right. Uh, and this is my lawyer standing next to me. No, he didn't do that. <laughs> so, but theoretically, you know, if you have proper blood flow, then you'll have less chances of infections and other chronic problems like I've had for, right. since my 30s, mid-30s. Um, and so I, I had this sense, it was a it was a recalling and at that moment. I was on the road the day where I the de- was days the desert, before. Right.
0: The beginning of the story. Yeah, around, right? and I had
1: a decision to make, I, and it was a very—it felt mystical at that moment.
0: In the in, when you were physically in the desert, or as your—they
1: were the same moment. You, if okay. that makes any sense at all, the only explanation that I could give is I heard a story once that um, uh, at the at the Battle of Little Bighorn in Montana, that Sitting Bull had a vision of how the battle was going to go mm. in detail. It was all in a vision. And mm-hmm. then they they reenacted the vision in a ceremonial dance. And then they claim, the Sioux Indian uh, Indians claim, that when the actual battle with Custer and the U.S. Army took place, that that was just secondary compared to the vision they and had the, already... the ceremony. Right, They were just making it ratifying it, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so it, it felt very much like what happened to me on the they road They were bringing that it night. to the
0: physical plane. Exactly. At that point.
1: Which wasn't as a big of a deal as what had happened the in actual, Sitting Bull's yeah. vision and their communal uh, ratification of it. And that's, you know, I mean, I'm no Sitting Bull, and I'm definitely no Custer. <laughs> uh, thank God. <laughs> but uh, I hope. I guess but there's that's Custer the connection, in all of us, though, right?
0: For sure. <laughs> we're breathing the same air that both yeah. of these guys were at some point but sitting there with the doctor explaining what's going on and and after he leaves the room you're you're back in sitting on the side of the road in the middle of the desert while he's talking to me okay
1: yeah this is all instantaneous and and I had a sense of a voice if you will uh wasn't really even a voice it was just a still small whisper mm-hmm. a
0: realization I like to call it the God nudge.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, um, that said, uh, you could stay or you can go. And however, the world needs Anamkaras or soul friends.
0: Which we've talked about. More than ever. Right.
1: Uh, Would you like to stay a little longer for that? And And I just instantly made that decision, yeah, I'll stay, I'll remain, I'll commit to whatever recovery I have to do. And I made that decision in that moment. But I had already made that decision by getting up on the road a couple of days before. And the whole hospital experience felt very scripted Hmm. in that sense. It was very unusual for me. Um, And it it was very different from my hospital stay when I had sepsis in 2011,
0: Right, and you you you're very familiar with hospital stays. Like this unfortunately, yeah. right that this is not your first go round. No, having a long stay at the at the hospital because of a some kind of
1: exactly. In fact, uh, yeah, I, I've had I've had three very close brushes with with death.
0: One of them is and, a child, right?
1: Yeah, in childhood, I had uh in third grade, I had a. Uh, the flu and pneumonia at the same time, and I was in that exact same hospital mm. that I was in for the heart surgery. And the morning of the surgery, they took me. This guy picked me up in a wheelchair and took me to the bowels of the hospital. It looked ancient, looked old, and took me to a respiratory lab. Put me in a glass booth to test. It's kind of un- unsettling that they test uh, whether you're you're you can take the trachea, uh, the uh, ventilator your trachea can take right. the ventilator 1 hour before the surgery. <laughs> right. Uh, so uh, but I passed all the tests evidently. <laughs> but while I was breathing in the in this uh glass booth doing the test, all of a sudden this um, uh intense memory of being uh 9 years old in that oh, wow. exact same glass booth in that same room right. when the hospital was new in 1977 uh wow. And all those memories of flooding back. And I was literally sitting in the exact same place where my nine-year-old self was that morning facing uh, triple bypass surgery uh, after having kidney failure and sepsis. And so (laughs) it was quite a profound experience. Yeah. um, To be that close, you know, to the pushing through the veil, if you will.
0: Well, both times. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
1: So three times, yeah. And so, yeah. So I committed to it, and they, yeah, it was it was a unique time to have a surgery since no family or friends could be there with me. So
0: due to COVID, because of COVID, yeah. Right.
1: So it was it's quite an isolating experience, um, and I'm glad they told me they were going to do the surgery. I believe on a it was a Tuesday morning, and they were going to do it on Wednesday morning. So I'm really glad.
0: It was a bang-bang yeah. sort of situation. so this
1: conversation with the surgeon, you know, we weighed the... You know, once I committed, I committed. And I think I mentioned last time, it was almost a scripted, prophetically scripted experience. Whereas my uh, brush with death in 2011 was was a descending into the uncertainty.
0: Felt much more chaotic. Felt,
1: yeah, very chaotic. And... Very much an existential crisis um, and the uncertainty and the fragility of life you know and how precious life really is. Uh, this one wasn't that way at all; it was felt very prophetically scripted i
0: like you'd been there before,
1: yeah, and I just had a a real calm about me mm. the entire time, and that doesn't make sense, you know
0: well, especially if you think too about uh, like you mentioned them giving you the wrong medication right. You went in there for leg pain, right? kidney failure comes, uh, septus, early stages of that, then you have a heart attack. Yeah. So it was a a very chaotic time. Yeah. It felt felt like an
1: Irish or a Jewish joke, you know, (laughs) by the way, (laughs) you're, you're, uh, you know, you've lost your business. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, and your house burned down. Uh, So yeah, just the news just kept getting worse and worse and... And so, yeah. And so, this time I had to really be diligent in communicating to everyone that I could, uh, you know, a goodbye, and at least they would know that I liked them. Mm-hmm. And that it was an honor being a human being
0: on this time. yeah
1: on this side of eternity and this time with them. And so I was able to get those calls out. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not all of them, but a lot. But as them. many as I could. Right. And,
0: um, you were if, kind of under a time crunch. Yeah, so, to so speak. anybody
1: out there that didn't get a call or a text from me, I apologize. <laughs>
0: um, so you wake up from the surgery, right?
1: So going into the surgery, my biggest fear was waking up uh, with a, uh, a a tube in my throat, being on a ventilator, and
0: but don't they have to put you on a ventilator for the actual surgery? Right. But you you mean you like waking up and you're fully conscious?
1: Yeah, because they told me I would wake up. They had okay, to wake okay. me up, and then uh, so I was, you know, I was afraid. Well, what'll happen? Will mm-hmm. I freak out? Will I jump out of bed and jump through the window? You know, <laughs>
0: <Not knowing laughs> like, you, it's like seventies television, you know, and <laughs> something, you know, with just your uh, hospital gown on.
1: Yeah, and and you know, and you, when you're in situations like this, your fears, most of your fears, are irrational anyway, and um, and so yeah. So I'm under the the knife for, I think, about six hours. I was not aware of it, obviously. And I woke up thinking I was having a dream. And and then in the dream, I thought I was in a Las Vegas hotel. Mm -hmm. And I saw the shadows of two people at the foot of the bed or across the room and one right in front of me. And I thought they were... uh, I thought I was a member of a gang that was about to pull a Las Vegas heist and they were explaining what we were going to do to rip off the Bellagio and the Caesars Palace and all that. And so this, but they had to take this tube out of my throat first. And so this man said, I'm going to remove the tube. And I think I might've yeah. in my head gave a thumbs up or something. Right.
0: An acknowledgement of something. Yeah. Sort of.
1: And, and then, uh, then I woke up again and someone was giving me ice chips And they were the it was the
0: greatest thing I've ever ever had. It was the most delicious. Yeah, I was addicted to ice
1: chips the rest of the summer, just eating ice chips (laughs) as much as possible because it felt so good.
0: And is that I mean, in the medical sense, that's just to rehydrate,
1: right? Yeah, because it's a pretty heavy
0: the the surgery,
1: anesthesia, and all that, and sawing my rib cage in half, Mm -hmm. and and they had to rip veins. They had to harvest veins from my left arm, forearm, which is kind of rare. Is it? Usually, they take it from your legs.
0: But because uh, of your infection, they couldn't go there?
1: No, because of a history of varicose veins oh, okay. and leg circulation problems. So, they did take, they harvested one from my leg, one from my chest, and one from my arm. Okay. So, I have kind of a trinity of, of bypass which valves. Is, of which my is heart. fitting. Yeah, exactly. So, it makes me feel cool. And the scar, I look really tough.
0: Well, on, on both of forearm. them, your chest scar and your forehead yeah, scar. Yeah, so. So, how much longer after your surgery did you stay in the hospital before you could go home to?
1: I think it was about six days more. So, yeah, so that was just learning.
0: And what was that, those six days post surgery, trying to get your your wits about you after having your chest cracked open?
1: I think the main thing was to get me ambulatory. And so the physical therapy team would come and. And uh, get me up and walking, mm-hmm. and that was that was the, the the day after the surgery. They get you up right away, right? And so that's what they did. Start and,
0: kicking your ass physically,
1: right? And so that's what I really had to learn.
0: Well, and what was the first day that they had you do? Uh, breathing, right? Yeah, yeah. And just standing up.
1: Yeah. So the first day of trying to stand up, I hyperventilated mm-hmm. and got. I guess behind in my breathing, and so it was very difficult. Especially because I had two tubes already attached to me, and then uh Well, ear. and when
0: he says in, "attached to him," they're inside of his body. Yeah, they're in
1: my torso, and then a and then Draining a water. urinary catheter attached, and then IVs. So it was all, all of
0: that. You're all tubed up. It was,
1: yeah, it's not an easy thing, and so, so the next day I I practiced breathing before mm. they. Mm. They came and did great. And then within a few days, they were able to
0: to let me go. So after this week of being in the hospital and, and coming back home, outside of the physical rehabilitation, uh, where, where were you at? When you first get home those first couple of days, where were you at mentally and spiritually? And, and just kind of what was your demeanor? Yeah, it was kind of surprising
1: because with heart surgery and heart events. They kept warning me about clinical depression. Okay. And but I didn't experience that. I've I've experienced it before, uh in twenty eleven when I I had to be rehospitalized a couple months later. Okay. I definitely felt a uh I wouldn't say clinical, but definitely depression. Right. This time I I was waiting it was almost like I was waiting for this dark cloud to come over me and it never did. Mm. Um Like I said, it was strangely scripted.
0: Even once you got home?
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, it wasn't easy. Right. But it just felt... It felt like I I was able to just float and roll with the waves.
0: And did you... What were you engaging as far... Or were you engaging with prayer, meditation? What did that look like your first days back?
1: Yeah. Well, in the hospital. It was the same as in in the hospital. Uh, I've told people... uh, there was really only three things and this is what I would say to people struggling in isolation with COVID. Okay. And people who are going stir crazy and feel isolated from community. Um I talked to somebody just recently they said they were just sp- in a spiritual crisis and because of COVID and the circumstances that we're all mm-hmm. undergoing we're fears and uncertainties. And so I was able to say well I was I was in the hospital for 13 days with you know definitely a high level death yeah uh you know close to death kind of thing and and felt and and couldn't talk to couldn't have any visitors. I could talk to people on the phone
0: but that's different yeah, than but no visitors
1: to someone you know in with strangers for thirteen days uh, psychologically scary there was one night, for example, where the x-ray team, those two men came in you know at four in the morning to take my x-ray of my lungs. And I noticed one of them was sweating profusely. And so I was like, oh my gosh, he's got a fever.
0: <laughs> he's got COVID. <laughs> he's got the
1: COVID. He's got the Rona.
0: <laughs> he's a super spreader event in he's, my yeah, hospital right room.
1: And then the second day, this is when I'm recovering from the open heart surgery. Uh-huh. Second day, the team comes and he's not with the guys by himself. And the guy that was sweating wasn't with him. And so all oh, my brain quarantine. is going off, right? And, and, uh, and I was thinking... Uh, Oh no! So I asked asked him, you know, where's your partner? And he was like, Oh, uh, uh, he had the night off. And then the third night, that guy was gone. Oh, and man. so it was just all, you know, so things get in your head, and
0: yeah,
1: and just like anybody else.
0: Well, especially with the with so much that is unknown at COVID, yeah, and especially exactly. in June, especially in June.
1: So, so if this got me through that in 13 days, and then the the months of recovery, this is what I'm saying to yeah, those well, of you who are struggling in, in COVID, uh, times. And it was three things really, and I hate to be formulaic, but it really, I can only, that's, well, that's, that's what you, I can recollect. Three was. things got right. me through this. One was breathing, um, uh, being very conscious of my breathing and being very intentional about it and breathing deeply is, is to get oxygen into my lungs to, mm-hmm. to help my heart. But that also helps you psychologically. Uh, second was being as still as possible, practicing uh, that stillness of prayer. Uh, I call it centering prayer. That's the one that I use, but any kind of just stilling and being very quiet with your body.
0: Now, just to stop you right there, just to sort of connect it with what you were going through. Do you think that stillness, at first, was a attempt to stop the pain that was shooting through? Oh, absolutely. Your it's body? a pain management right technique. And
1: And it's a spiritual technique. And I kept—I never turned the TV on in the hospital those 13 days. I have seldom checked the news. Uh, Things were exploding, remember, in in early June with uh, from the George Floyd murder and Breonna Taylor murder um, by those who are, you know, who are dedicated to protect and serve.
0: So was that the third thing? Was to avoid the news? Avoid the news. Uh, no, no, no. That's okay, not the third okay, thing. Okay. Okay. That's just what that's you were doing of, at the time. That's part of being still. Okay, you can't okay. be still if you're watching. If your mind's racing. Yeah. So. all the news. Okay, okay. So I see, it. I see and, the connection. And
1: accepting the boredom in the room, you know.
0: Which and, is tough to do.
1: Yeah. And centering prayer can teach you. Contemplative prayer can teach you to uh, assimilate boredom into your to your existence. And then the third was was laughter and comedy. Mm. So I'd be extremely intentional with anyone that entered my room and I would just uh be present to them for the sake of being able to crack a joke to them and make them laugh that was my goal and or or even better create an awkward silence because of the joke cuz I feed off that I'm one of those kind of vampires
0: you, you and I both my friend <laughs> yeah, was, we like I that both.
1: awkward comedic <laughs> silence uh and so those three things uh so so making people laugh or, or being able to laugh. Mm-hmm. Secondly, being as still as possible and keeping a stillness going and then breathing. And those three things got me through those 13 days of isolation, physical pain, and emotional turmoil.
0: And when you got back home, you're saying you continued to roll with those three things. Yeah, I just continued those three things. Yeah. Obviously, well, I And don't physical know therapy. Obvious. I had to do my own physical therapy. Right.
1: So I was very concentrated on that as well.
0: But I imagine the, uh, the breathing and the stillness feed in. Yeah. It's all the, uh,
1: the body, mind, spirit kind of thing that people talk about oh these shit. days. You're bringing in some <laughs> new age
0: stuff into it. This is the new age community radio. Yeah. Welcome. <laughs> um, so with, with those, so as you're, you're back home, you're healing, um, you have subsequent doctors' appointments and visits and yeah right. the the rigor, the you know the the typical checkup and check-in and all that and and so what do you find out is as you're healing physically you're trying to heal uh mentally spiritually you know like you're saying that connection with the mind body and um, the spirit uh, so so what was what was revealed during that time yeah and so those of you out there. With chronic
1: illnesses and pain, you know what it's like to lie down on a cold uh, sheet of butcher papers with fluorescent lights, uh, trying to suck your soul <laughs> up. So I had to go through many heart tests, and um, yeah, and I found out that my heart is genetically uh, from birth uh, malformed and dysfunctional, and so that that was difficult to find out.
0: Well, and I think hopefully I'm not speaking out of line, but also, your father had a heart attack at the same exact right, age yeah
1: the same age, yeah, my dad had a heart which... attack at fifty at fifty one and he according to him, he was in his top physical condition, he's an athlete mm-hmm. and he had a heart attack at fifty one because of genetically inherited heart disease, which is also difficult when you have a a disease like that, everyone makes a uh, Character judgments on mm. you. Oh well, you know if he had, shouldn't have been eating this. If, all
0: you, the, if he would doing work that, out three times a week yeah, for forty-five minutes.
1: You're a drunk, day. you know, kind of thing. You're a drunkard, and you're uh what do they call Jesus? A, they call him a party or a drunkard, and a, and a, he overeats. He goes to every party, and, and so
0: you know <laughs> that's too much fun.
1: Yeah, so it was it was yeah. So there's those things as well.
0: So when you find out this about your heart, what else?
1: So you so the cardiologist wanted to install what's called an ICD or a uh, a deluxe pacemaker that's a defibrillator. So it will shock me if I
0: when you start nodding I, out. My, my heart
1: misbehaves and it'll shock my ass back into coherence, as I said one time. Uh and uh bring me, you know, keep me from escaping. Right. Well that's and that's why
0: we we didn't record last week. We took a week off because to what t- today's the two two week? I guess it won't be yeah two weeks today. Yeah, that you had the second surgery,
1: right? And so going through all of those kinds of things, you know.
0: And w- what what has because you said last earlier today earlier during this conversation that when you were in the hospital back in two thousand eleven you had a second hospital stay, and you were affected by oh yeah depression. Yeah. Was this because, what, you were two months removed? Right.
1: Yeah, from... this one took, when he told me I had to go back in the hospital to have another surgery to have For the, the ICD, ICD installed. Yeah, it took some, I knew it was going to take a lot of fortitude that I didn't feel like I had mm. and, and energy to go back into the hospital during a pandemic. And we're like on a second wave here in this region. You know, the numbers are in the triple digits daily. And so there's all that, and but eventually, you know, I what just. What were
0: you able to do to build up to it, and then what have you been able to do since?
1: Yeah, so it's the same story. I was able to the first day of the surgery. There, I had some emotional, a lot. Of, I started crying, and uh, this is after they. I was home from the surgery. Okay. Uh, just feeling like it's not nothing's going to help, and I'm just going to be on this this road of chronic illness and. And did you stay? Not that's possible,
0: yeah, anything I mean, anything's possible. It's, yeah. it's hard to project in the future. but did you stay a night, that second surgery, or was it? No, like I was bam
1: bam early in the morning, I was released later in the afternoon,
0: so later you're later that evening, you're having these emotions. yeah,
1: and then that was when the sedative was wearing off, and okay. the pain was setting in, and i didn't I didn't take the uh, painkillers in time.
0: Mm-hmm. so the pain
1: it. threshold went way up for several hours and so I just laid on my back and let the pain, you know, of uh-huh. <laughs> my wonderful wife helping me. So.
0: And so what, the last two weeks have you, you know, where have you been at?
1: Just rolling with the punches, good, really.
0: Good emotionally? Have you been down? Have you been... No,
1: I feel pretty copostatic, you right. know, going in the that middle ground. Um, the normal irascibility that I <laughs> had. <so.
0: laughs> and the... Uh, what you touched on earlier with the breathing, uh, you know, what, what's your prayer life looking like, your laughter life, what's, what's that look like over the last 14 days?
1: Yeah, about the same. Mm. So, you know, you and I have our laughs quite a bit.
0: Right. My oh. wife and I. And, uh, you know, hopefully it's okay. I've noticed that you've sort of engaged the uh, um, labyrinth over the last oh, two yeah, weeks. Yeah. And, and Good. What, what has that been like? Yeah, so, um, you know, it's... I love the labyrinth. That's why I yeah. ask, because I feel very connected to that.
1: Well, I, I prefer to walk a couple of miles out from our house, and mm-hmm. but because, you know, I'm getting used to this, the ICD, uh, I don't want to go into, you know, they don't... If it ends up having to shock me, I may pass out. Mm. And, you know, and they'd find me with buzzards eating me, and so... <laughs> and coyotes. So I need like to stay close to the house, thing. so... So my plan was I I just started walking the labyrinth three times mm-hmm. a day. Right. Uh, walking it in and out and then uh, so six times right. uh, technically and 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 trying to soak in sunlight as well for vitamin D and
0: for COVID, covid and all that prevention, right.
1: And so that's that's what I've been doing, yeah, the last I forgot about that. So I've been doing that daily and and uh it's just one of those things, you know, you you keep your practice and your practice will keep you. Mhm.
0: Well, I I think that's one of the things that I've taken away, you know, being able to to witness you go through what you have over the last four or five months is, you know, you had your practices beforehand, before anything seemed to be wrong. You had your practices during and after the first surgery, you know, the little bit we were able to communicate while you were in the hospital. and, And then obviously when you were home, we were able to communicate a lot more and then your practices leading up, once you find out you have a second surgery, yeah. and so just reiterating that to to people listening here, looking for a spiritual outlet, it's like it's easy to do spiritual practices. I think when things are really bad, right? It's a little bit tougher when things are when you're riding high and life is good and and all that. Um, and then it's somewhere in the middle when you're in that middle place when yeah. it's when it's just another Tuesday.
1: And and I like to add for those, especially for people feeling isolated from their communities right now, who don't have a sense of community because of COVID. Um, I did have a sense of community even in the hospital, even though my family and friends couldn't be there with me, because of that comedic bridge, and just being present to the stranger there. They were no longer a stranger, and so uh, I would I'd be able to have a connection, whether it was. Uh, Someone just taking my blood at four in the morning or uh, a a successful young, tall doctor in a white coat uh, trying to get out of there as quick as he could, you know, but uh, I'm making jokes, you know, and that kind of thing.
0: Well, and if I could add on to that as well, it's like uh, when you practice cultivating community in general I don't want to say it's easier, but maybe it comes more naturally to someone. Yeah, it will find you. Right. And yeah. I know for me, that practice of cultivating community, for me, it's 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 probably been over the last ten years. I, I think I've done it all my life, but it's been much more intentional over the last ten, eleven years. Um, and it' once once you've you've worked that muscle over yeah. and over, it's it's. Uh, like you said, at some point it starts finding you.
1: Yeah, and and the physical pain and the and the pain of isolation uh, put me in solidarity with all those that mm-hmm. suffer. Which is as a Christian, that puts me in union with the with the suffering crucified Christ. Well,
0: but it's and, communion. Yeah, in, in so, the most true in the truest sense that you could possibly. Exactly. Have.
1: So when that nurse pulled my hand out of the MRI and she held my hand and administered uh, morphine to me. You know, it was it was very much a unitive experience, and mm. with the sufferings of Christ and George Floyd and those who have been unjustly uh, treated throughout the history, as well as uh, community. You know, this this nurse trying to help me, and so it was, it was a profound experience. And so, community can find you,
0: and it will, and it will,
1: and it, will. it will, yeah, if you, it really if you will open,
0: if you allow yourself to be open to it. Uh, well, I appreciate your your honesty, your vulnerability. Thank you. I know you're still like right in the middle of the recovery process of yeah, this. Yeah, we're
1: still getting meds, straightened out.
0: Yeah, and-, and and that's one of the reason one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about it, and I really appreciate you being open to that. Oh, Yeah, because it's, it's, um, I, I gotta I, do something with it. Gotta <laughs> do something with it, man. We can every, every low point we have in our life, we can we can help someone else with that. So yeah. Uh, so, once again, thank you for, for tuning in to Desert Rain Community Radio. I don't think this is episode six or seven or something like I don't that. Remember. Yeah, <laughs> I don't remember. I have to start putting them together and, and putting them out there. So, we appreciate your time. We appreciate thank your you. interest. Um, theruin.org or is it .com? Dot com. Theruin.com. If you if you want to reach out and, and touch base and connect a little bit deeper with us, uh, there's a lot of information there. Um, or if not, uh, feel free to please tune in next next week and we'll have a, another episode for you. So have a wonderful night. Thank you. Thank you.